Welcome back to Behind the Screens. I'm Matthew Liebman from Movio. And I'm Simon Burton from Numero. Hey, this is one of the saddest weeks at box office in recent memory, Simon. There were no wide new releases in the domestic market. Of course, it was supposed to be Morbius's debut, but Sony then moved that to April 1st. And the top grossing new release came in at number 17. It was Adrian Brody uh, in the film Clean, which is the way I think the auditorium was looked after each session, given there was no one in there to spill popcorn. Yeah, fair to say that. Clean, I think it was about 160, 160,000 bucks from 260 screens. That wasn't uh, not exactly setting the, the world on fire there. Um, so, yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home continues its its reign at the top of the domestic box office uh, with $11 million this past weekend. Um, and no surprise, but some exceptional holds given the, the lack of additional wide releases coming into the market this this past weekend. Yeah, I mean, one thing I, I did notice uh, over this weekend was because of that new release drought, actually a number of titles expanded in um, in theatres, um, not just held. So additional uh, theatres being rolled out for a number of new titles there. There was, yeah. We saw an increase in screens with The Kingsman and Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, and not surprising, their, their box office either held the same as the previous week or up slightly on the previous week. Uh, as well, and, and some films didn't even need to, to add screens to uh, to enjoy strong holds. If we uh, dive into the, the domestic box office a little bit more from this past weekend, uh, Scream held the number two spot with only a drop of 40% from the previous week, which is exceptional for, for, for that film. Uh, Sing 2 with nearly $5 million and a hold of only a drop of only 16.5%. So um, one of the things that I've noticed here, Simon, as these films expand or as they hold, especially a couple of titles that are now available at home, like Sing 2, which you can rent for just under $25, or Ghostbusters Afterlife, which can be bought on iTunes for $19.99, is that if an exhibitor is going to drive people back into theatres, there needs to probably be some motivation. And that could be a price-based discount, could be some other form of value add. But really, to get people off the couch this late in their seasons, when they're available at home, it's not just enough to do an FYI email blast. So that's the domestic market. Is it any more exciting overseas, though? Uh, there's no huge releases overseas at the moment, Matthew. But if we, we take a quick look at the, the Chinese box office market, uh, their total box office this past weekend was $27 million. Compare that to the domestic box office of $37 million. But they're bracing themselves for the enormous... Uh, Chinese New Year box office run, which commences on the 1st of February. Uh, some industry expectations that they'll gross over a billion US dollars in the next uh, seven days in the, the Chinese box office. So, yeah, a lot of, lot of business there to, to celebrate the commencement of the Year of the Tiger, I believe, this year. Uh, the, the, the lead film there is Watergate Bridge or the, uh, the sequel, to the battle at Lake Changjin, which released this same time last year and grossed over 900 million US dollars. So I'm interested to see if that uh, if that sequel uh, can deliver the same box office result as the, as the first one did last year. And um, there've been a couple more moves, one of, of note in the domestic calendar. Uh, what shifted most recently, Simon? There was uh, the sequel to Downton Abbey, A New Era, moving from March 18 back to May 20th. Uh, that was the only significant change we saw this past week. 
sort of move on to this week's interview, perhaps the perfect guest uh, to join us this week, given the lack of theatrical, new theatrical releases in the market. Matthew, who did you have a chance to speak with this week? Yeah, we spoke to Grania Clark, who's the Managing Director of the Event Cinema Association. So let's play the interview. My guest today is Grania Clark, who's been the Managing Director of the Event Cinema Association since October 2018. The ECA is the primary global trade body for the alternative content sector. Since her appointment, Grania has redefined the ECA's vision and consolidated a new strategy to drive cinema and worldwide global box office for event cinema. Before joining the ECA, Grania was the policy executive at the UK Cinema Association. She sits on the board of the governors for the cinema technology community and was named on Celluloid Junkies list of the top 50 women in cinema exhibition in both 2019 and 2020. Grania was one of the pioneering mentees and then subsequently the first mentee to mentor on Unix Women's Cinema Leadership Program. It's a mouthful. Thank you for coming on the pod today, Grania. Thank you for having me, Matthew. That's well, quite you did it. I just had to read it back. <laughs> that's uh, that's all we do here. Exactly. <laughs> so, so let's start at the very beginning. Can you give me a definition of event cinema and how it's evolved over the years? Yeah, of course, Matthew. Um, I mean, event cinema has evolved quite dramatically. I mean, this year, in fact, um, the ECS celebrates its ten-year anniversary. But again, that's not 10 years to mark from when event cinema content started being played in cinemas. I mean, that dates back even further. I mean, as we've sort of seen over the years, and particularly when I joined three years ago, it's evolved quite substantially. And, you know, we've done a lot of work around kind of define this. Um, more so as well to kind of bring a little bit more consistency with how event cinema is recorded through box office. So it helps us with our data analysis. Um, so the short version I always give people is it's it's basically anything that's not a feature film presentation. <laughs> that's the short version. So there's sort of two methods to it in terms of how it's defined. So it is the the type and the nature of the content. Um, and from what we've seen in that, it's anything from concerts, ballet, opera, theatre, live gaming, live sport events, um, stand-up comedy, documentaries, arts exhibitions. The list is, is endless, as we sort of see. But I think one of the kind of key defining points for events in the content is the methodology of its release. Um, and that generally comes down to, so it, it doesn't have a sort of thea a standard theatrical release. It's a one night only with a series of encores. And I suppose that really kind of becomes the, the key defining element to it. And particularly when we look at um, content across different territories, it's that sort of methodology of its releases, how it's really defined within box office. Got it. So uh, no doubt the content is incredibly diverse, as you've just shared. But what about the audience? Who actually attends event cinema? So again, this, this is a really interesting one. So uh, before my time, we have very little data um, that we share, that's been shared publicly around kind of the event cinema audiences. And the sort of the stereotype for it was older audiences, uh, predominantly female. Um, the last three years, we've been doing some great work through Movio. Um, so we've been able to kind of track sort of the audiences more granular, particularly by titles and then splitting them out into genres. Uh, no massive surprise. Uh, it is, again, still typically um, the sort of plus 45 uh, is the sort of the majority makeup of our audiences. And again, sort of around 60% are female. And is that... The little chicken and egg, you, you mentioned um, a lot of the content. Does that steer the audience or is the audience during the content? 
it you know it's it's a bit of both um and again you know we've got new titles coming through particularly in the last three years you know things where we've got the k-pop uh, k-pop phenomenon such as the bts uh blackpink um all of those have demonstrated the ability to kind of bring in younger audiences you know 2020 where we had bts and david attenborough that went through as an event cinema release again that, that would be a great down. joint concert yeah. by the way i would love to see david attenborough <laughs> with bts <laughs> wouldn't it <laughs> yeah he's, he's got some moves there man that that would actually be quite sensational wouldn't it there's something there um so we do know that there is the ability to attract younger audiences into event cinema content. Um, Fleabag is another good example, which kind of really sort of gave us a sort of a varied age demographic. Um, but typically what we see, and particularly because we're a lot of the sort of top content is ballet, it's opera, it's theatre, it does skew to that older audience. But I think what the opportunity that we're missing, um, particularly from cinema exhibition side, is being able to kind of promote the content to to all age demographics and, and not necessarily pigeonholing people. Um, yes, because, you know, on one hand, we say with event cinema, what it is, it's, it's a great opportunity of engaging fans for particular content. Um, and that's a great way to kind of drive audience, particularly if it's new. But then that's not to say that we shouldn't overlook the kind of existing audiences that you've got coming to the cinema already and make sure that they're aware because we do have that crossover. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you talk about that crossover, do you see that happening much with audiences? Is your female over 45 seeing the latest Meryl Streep and Judy Dench film, or do they stay in the event lane uh, and not cross over so much? Massively. Um, and, you know, and again, from the data that we've been tracking, which is honestly, it's phenomenal because now we can actually say that we've got this kind of three year history. We can sort of really start to see those trends coming through. Um, you know, on one hand, what we've got with event cinema is in terms of this content that's coming through is the ability to bring in new audiences to the cinema so audiences that have never been before you know i think even in 2020 it was sort of like 23 percent of people that came to watch an event cinema title in the uk were brand new to the cinema it's phenomenal i mean that's a massive stat um we do have event cinema purists but they're very small you know um Again, looking back, and they're typically what you would expect them to be. So from the opera side, so they are your regulars, but they only count for around 3% of admissions of people that are going in terms of the event cinema audiences. So our crossover is actually quite significant where we're seeing averagely around 70%. Um, you know, I think it was 63% in 2019 and 72% in 2020. We're actually they're returning to the uh, to the cinema to see other mainstream titles. Um, within that, you've got a granular breakdown in terms of what they will go and see, you know. So again, you know, this will probably come as no surprise, but your, your K-pop audiences are really quite highly likely to go and see a Marvel, a DC title. You've got that crossover. Uh, and again, your theatre audience, I mean, anything with their, you know, Jim Broadbrent, the Duke coming up, they would, you know, they would probably go and see that as well or anything with Judy Dench in. You know, so you, you do have that crossover. It's just being, uh, getting more involved with the data that you have and making sure that you can target them effectively. Yeah, yeah. And talking of the data, how do these audiences behave, especially, say, concessions or average ticket price? Do they contribute when they see an event title the same way they might when they go and see a traditional theatrical release? 
you know, the concession spend is a really interesting one, particularly in the events in a sphere. Um, because again, what you see is a complete difference in spending between the different genres. Uh, so again, what we've seen is, so those that come to concerts and concerts, um, they sort of account for in terms of our admissions, um, a massive sort of segment for us. So they're, you know, a third of our overall admissions, but they're infrequent cinema goers. They're infrequent, but they don't spend anything while they're there. And one of the things that um, I quite like to champion, shall we say, is, you know, the dwell time uh, that you have for audience with events and in the content, you know, you're typically looking at around three hours, you know, and for a lot of content for opera and ballet and for the concerts and theatre, you have the interval. So you've got such an opportunity there to do an uplift on your concessions and sell in again. Um, and again, we know some cinemas do it really well, well, they do pre-sales or they kind of get people to pre-book for the interval so they can get those uplifts but what we see for concerts is that the expenditure is really low so regardless if they're going to see Andre Rio or if they're coming to K-pop it's quite low um, then on the flip side those going to see theatre opera ballet they actually spend quite a lot so you know for them they do sort of take it as that full night out and they'll have their glass of wine and they'll go and they're attended the whole thing so there's a massive opportunity that i think we're we're missing more broadly in terms of increasing that expenditure um and i know canopolis have done it quite well um in a few of their territories particularly in france where they've done kind of like local concerts and they've done these pre-sales on packages for concessions beforehand and, you know, the opportunity you've got within there is, is even to include merchandise, you know, particularly, you know, if it's a concert or you, you've got something you can kind of sell to the fan. And that becomes quite an easy thing to kind of add on in your pre-sale with the booking is, you know, add your drink, add your thing. And we can see, you know, there's the opportunity to be more creative with what those concessions could be to, to add that package onto your ticket sale. Um, every man are a good example here in the UK that do it quite well and they'll do sort of themed cocktails, you know, for particular events and stuff. So there's definitely an opportunity. Yeah, I um, think that pre-sale makes a lot of sense. I used to work for a cinema chain, though, where we designed mobile concession stands, not dissimilar to New York City hot dog stands, and we would walk them in in the pre-show. And it almost feels like a rock concert. You could have that just stationed at the crossover entry for the whole show. Um feels sort of in keeping with a live concert as opposed to theatre or ballet. Yeah, and, and, and I know that um, Coca-Cola started doing a trialling with apps in at baseball games over in the US as well, where, you know, you could kind of, again, do that thing, you know, like pre-bit your hot dog and your Coke for the break and stuff. And I definitely think there's an opportunity there because it's it's about making it easy for people. So it's something that they don't have to necessarily think about. It's there and it's done. Yeah, absolutely. And as much as we love an intermission, it's unusual. So we haven't ingrained the behaviour. You go back and buy some more snacks and merch. So, um, of course, the ECA has a global perspective. Can you talk about which are the strongest markets for, for global uh, performance, maybe as a percentage of box office? And who are the really fast emerging ones as well? Yeah, of course. Um, and again, this is a <laughs> going back to kind of the first question, which was around kind of how event cinema is recorded. So actually collating consistent box office data uh, for events in a is quite challenging. Uh, 
because it varies from territory to territory and how they classify it and then how it's recorded and how it goes through. So again, that's something we've been working on, sort of coming up with the broad kind of genres to make sure that we can kind of get those analysis. Um, and yeah, we've been working with Comscore on that. The the UK, I think, is by far the the, the most established and mature market. Um, you know, and again, there's probably a whole variety of reasons for that in terms of basically the origin of the project. A lot of it, you know, kind of comes out from the UK, um, the commitment from the cinemas to do it, and, and it does work and perform quite well here. You know, when we start to kind of look at other territories, we're seeing massive success with uh, Australia and New Zealand, uh, particularly in the last couple of years. Um, Germany's a really interesting market. That seems to be going quite strong. Um, when you're looking at, um, so the UK, let's if we take it back a step, sorry. So UK is typically, let's, we'll, we'll discount 21 because um, it wasn't the best year for us in, in box office. Um, but, you know, typically event cinema for the UK is around 3 to 4% of box office, you know, and, and that's quite significant. And, and the other caveat I always sort of throw in is, the context of that percentage. Um, if we go back again to what I was saying, you know, you're looking at a limited run of screenings per title. Um, typically, again, you know, UK will probably have the biggest number of releases, which could averagely be around 130 releases on a year of new events. Uh, and each of those having, say, three to four averagely um, screenings within one site. Um, and again, you're probably looking at around 60% take up from cinema sites across the country for a big release. So if you take all of that into account, that 4% is actually quite significant, you know, in terms of occupancy and how well it's doing, you know, you're never going to have an all screens all show. So it won't have that box office potential to, to take as much as, um, you know, a normal theatrical release would. Um, so that's super impressive. I mean, another big market that we're seeing is Australia, as I said, New Zealand, which is sort of sitting around that three to 4%. Brazil has been a phenomenal growth area, you know, South America, indeed, uh, Argentina as well. Um, they love the K-pop. <laughs> like that's is, is literally is literally for for Brazil. It's literally BTS or UEFA foot. Yeah, UEFA football is pretty much is what they want. Um, and as I said, you know, Germany's again is another really interesting one. And there's what's really interesting when you start to kind of have a look at the breakdown of genres is how different genres perform in different territories. Um, and again, there's sort of no rule of thumb of how knowing what will play well, you know, so here in the UK, um, we've sort of had this kind of battle between theatre and concerts. And, you know, I think it is, we, we can firmly say that concert is globally the biggest growth genre for event cinema that we've seen in the last three years. Um, but again, within concerts, that's quite wide because you've got classical concerts as again to kind of rock and and then K-pop. But that is by far, I think, the kind of the biggest and strongest genre across all the territories that we see. That that's quite good, um, you know. But then you look at Germany, where it's it's pretty much it's rock or it's opera. And again, the US is a really interesting one as well because we've seen box office growth there in the US, um, and that sort of again sits at one percent. But as I said, you know, back to before one percent of the US market, that is actually quite significant. And again, when you look at um, a wide event cinema release, that's you know you're looking at around sort of six hundred sites in the US. 
And if you think about the number of total sites in the US, again, there's, you know, there is this significant opportunity there to increase that further. So there's the appetite there. It's just getting it out further and kind of knowing what works. Uh, and again, we've seen uh, a big uplift um, in the US as well in terms of sporting events. So I do think that's another thing that we'll, we'll be looking at more in the future. Um, yeah, so it's it, it's quite varied <laughs> when, you, when you kind of look at it, you know. And so, and if you think, okay, you've got New Zealand and Australia. So Australia, again, performs really well with theatre and concerts. Uh, New Zealand performs really well with opera and classical concerts. And, and when you talk to that Australia and New Zealand, three to four percent of box office. I mean, for context, uh, domestically produced films hover around the seven to eight percent mark in an average year. So that's a huge contribution when you put it in context to what Australian movies are making in their own uh, backyard and cinemas. Um, you, you started answering that question, giving some uh, context to the strongest markets and and what contributed to that. But if we take it down to the exhibitor level, what have you seen amongst the most successful exhibitors and what could other listeners here take from that to drive event cinema in their own circuits? I mean, I do think this comes down to how well you market the content, you know, and the the content providers on our side are really good at sort of doing that fan engagement uh, and sort of tapping into that fan base and, and promoting it widely and I think cinemas more generally uh, I'm very cautiously saying this because I really don't want anyone to feel offended um, could be better at sort of marketing more effectively and proactively their event cinema content I mean there's a lot of sites that I go on to and it's it's very hard to tell if they're playing event cinema content and again I think in terms of when you're emailing out, you know, don't pigeonhole your audiences too much. So if you've had an opera goer, don't just send them the opera titles, you know, let them know what else is on because you will pick up other people that are thinking, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that was on. Um, and we still, I think, do get that quite a lot as in terms of, you know, do audiences, do the general public know, you know, what is on offer at your cinema sites, you know, beyond sort of the big temple titles and, and you know the temple titles will always be the biggest kind of you know revenue generator for cinemas um but equally you know there's a lot more that cinemas are doing even beyond event cinema even like domestic product their own kind of events sort of or, or when they've eventized something you know or bespoke kind of pieces that they do um and i definitely think that there's more that we can learn from each other about how to kind of more effectively market it so so that your audiences know what you're showing. Yeah. So what is the next frontier for event cinema? What's coming up next? One of the other interesting things that we've seen, and actually I didn't mention it before, was uh, particularly like in France, is a massive growth in anime content, which is, and that's been phenomenal. Um, and we've seen a huge, huge growth in that area. Um, and kind of also like coupled with that, what's been really interesting, and again, we've seen it with, uh, the K-pop as well is around sort of using the um, kind of premium formats such as 4X and 4DX for event cinema titles, which is a really kind of interesting concept. Um, and they've done it again with uh, so Demon Slayer. They had it with 4DX and I know that they've done a, a couple of the latest sort of BTSs with it. So it'd be really interesting to kind of having a look at that. And particularly for us in terms of attracting a younger audience, 
it's a really interesting concept. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it, could, it would work necessarily for, for, for ballet, uh, but you know, there's, I think there's something in there to explore. Um, I think one of the other areas that we as the ECA haven't really kind of fully explored properly is gaming within cinemas. Um, we know with gaming, um, there's the economical challenges of making that work for an exhibitor. Um, but I think there is sort of huge potential and, you know, we've seen successes with League of Legends, but, you know, my, my, my eyes are being widely open to the world of gaming and it's, it's, it's insanely bigger than I ever imagined it could be. <laughs> so I, I think there's a lot more we can be learning from the gaming industry to see what can be sort of translated and pulled in for cinemas to utilise um, and, and ultimately to help them make money from it really as well. Um, and, you know, some of the other points that I've sort of talked about as well is live sporting events. Um, I mean, I've mentioned it before, you know, I've got a little boy um, who's five and he really properly got into the Euro, the football championship this year. Um, and again, there wasn't really anywhere I could take him other than sit at home or the pub. And I don't really want to take him to the pub, to be honest. And you, know, you think like a cinema would be a fantastic space for families to enjoy sporting events, you know, you've got a controlled environment, you know, as the parents, you can have a drink if you want to have a drink. Um, but you know, you've still got sound quality, you've got screen quality. Uh, and it's a family friendly environment that you know, you can all go to together. What comes with that is obviously it, it is a whole host of complications around broadcasting rights and licensing. But I do think there is an opportunity, you know, we've got the World Cup at the end of this year and, you know, there'd be a wonderful opportunity for cinemas to be able to screen some of the games. Yeah, great point. Hey, look, I've taken a lot of your time up, Brenya, but I can't let you go without you getting to getting you to talk about Andre Ria, who, <laughs> at least to my way of looking at it, seems to be the godfather of event cinema. What is behind his phenomenon? Oh, the king of worlds. He's got the most fabulous hair, doesn't he? Hey, um, he's overrated. <laughs> Um, do you know he's 72? You know what's remarkable? I went and saw a Springsteen concert in Australia at, at one venue and over the way at the big Olympic stadium was Andre Rear and they both came out at once. And it was like we were walking towards the village of the dam, to be honest. There were walkers and chairs and limps and, you know, um, Springsteen's the same age and he crowd surfs, so I'm going to back him over Andre Rear. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I always say with Andre, he's like... He's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, yes. <laughs> he's literally a phenomenal for the events in the world. Um, you know, again, right at the end of this year, he managed to take the top spot yet again <laughs> for the box office for, you know, for his Christmas with Christmas with Andre. Um, but as I said, and which was phenomenal because again, he skews to an older audience and they they came out for Christmas to see him, which is a uh, which is fantastic. But he he is he is the one the wonder <laughs> of, of our events in the world. But again, there doesn't seem to be any sign of those audiences tiring out of his performances at all. Um, and they always come back for that, and they sell out, and they bring the people back. I don't think there's any better place to leave it than Andre Ria. Grania, thank you so much <laughs> for your time today. I've learned a lot, and and I really appreciate you um, not just giving us feedback but backing it up with numbers and data, that's been um, really, really handy and uh, insightful. So thank you again.
Well, thank you. And again, I obviously have Nevio to thank for a lot of our stats as well. So it's a real pleasure working with you guys on this. Thank you, Matt. And thank you, Grunya. Uh, terrifically insightful there. Moving ahead to next week, as we touched on, we've got Jackass Forever releasing in the North American market along with Moonfall from Lionsgate. Uh, I think the early estimates on those two films are looking somewhere in the sort of low to mid-teens for, for the opening weekend. Um, and the following week, the uh, Jennifer Lopez, Owen Wilson rom-com Marry Me. Uh, it'll be a battle between Marry Me and Super Bowl, I'm guessing, on that Sunday with the mighty LA Rams taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. Obviously, we'll, we'll cover a bit more about our Super Bowl tips next week because that's what we're here for. <laughs> Until then, everyone, thank you, Simon. Thank you, listeners. We'll see you behind the screens next week. Movio and Numero are two of the businesses within the Vista Group, the world-leading provider of technology solutions to the global film industry. For more moviegoer insights, be sure to visit movio.co and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. The Behind the Screens podcast is produced by Grace Furness and edited by Patrick Hanna. Additional support from Ryan Preventure, Georgia Culverwell and Christine Rizzolo.